hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire's signature NHL hockey pod podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host is AJ Scholes, who's a great follow at AJ Scholes24, based in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. That happens to be pretty close to Rotowire headquarters over in Madison, Wisconsin. It's my pleasure to welcome back my partner, and uh, we have a touchy issue as we as we get into the prep for our third preseason pod that talks about his favorite div- division. So, but AJ, I got to throw to you with a question about an issue that happened overseas in the UA- UHL. It's the Ukrainian Hockey League, where we had a bit of a racial, racially tainted issue. Uh, please explain to our listeners, and then we'll knock it around for a bit. Well, yeah, there was a, a player um, in the UHL, Andre Denisikin, uh, and he made uh, a, a racist gesture. I won't get into the details of that towards uh, towards an African American player over in the, the UHL. Um, obviously, that's that's problem number one, right? Uh, that that this stuff still goes on, um, and that that it's you know something that uh, you know players of players of color have to deal with, um, and and obviously that's disappointing to begin with. This issue was further compounded by the fact that the Ukrainian Hockey League uh, decided to suspend uh, the, the player in question, uh, Denis Sikin, for three games plus an additional 10. However, he can get out of that additional 10-game suspension by paying a fine. Now, if you do the conversion on the amount of this fine, it's less than 2000 U.S. dollars. Uh, looks like it's about 2400 Canadian dollars in terms of com, um, conversion. Well, the UHL continues to make this worse and worse. Today it came out that they fired their general manager for being, uh, in, in his terms, obviously I haven't seen statements, so I want to say according to him, he was fired for uh, being outspoken about the league's stance on this and the fact that they should have done more um, in, in regards to his suspension here. And has called on the, the IIHF, the International Ice Hockey Federation, to investigate both the UHL um, and the team in question. So uh, a lot to unpack there. Um, Paul, I'll kick it over to you to, to your thoughts and, uh, about that. Well, I, while you're talking, I had to think, you know, I've been around this game all my life. Coached it, played it, not at very high levels, but, you know, around a lot of people, a lot of kids and a lot of different races, creeds and nationalities. And I never saw an instance like this for years and years. Sure, when I was in my teens and my 20s, it would creep into some play. I remember a couple of issues that I saw, but that was years ago. I mean, in the last 20 years, I haven't seen anything like this. I thought progress was being made, but one issue like this is such a setback. And and I'm I'm shocked that that we that we still see it happening, and I'm further shocked by the lack of a real punishment in terms of a penalty in this particular instance. I thought that uh, three games that's that's ridiculous. That's a one week vacation. Uh, the option for another ten to be offset by a my, a small fine, the amount of money involved negligible, again stupid, and and a real setback to a real black eye in the sports world that we don't need. We're dealing with a lot more serious issues in the landscape around us right now that affect our day-to-day. But this is something that I thought was a part of history and, and we would never see again. Sadly, I'm wrong. 
And, and we have to talk about stuff like this, but maybe even just talking about it brings a bit of an awareness to the fact that the issue is still there. And, and it's a crying shame. I'm appalled. And, and the league has to take a look at itself and, and really get this right. Uh, and I hope that it does. And maybe uh, we'll see a more of a punishment. How about letting the guy sit out a year? Or how about suspended for life? That would send a pretty loud message, I think. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think those are, are both, both should be on the table. I mean, honestly, but um, at this point, I, I think it's pretty clear that the UHL is not going to do anything about it, right? Like if they fired the one guy who's like trying to, you know, argue for something more to be done. Um, so, you know, I think obviously the, the IIHF, uh, has to do something, um, whether anything they do will have an impact. It's hard to say they're not exactly the, the, you know, most, uh, authoritative body, but they could ban him from international play for one. They could censor the, the UHL in, in some fashion. Um, you know, I, I think there's things that they can do to at least just put it out there that the rest of the international community community finds this unacceptable um, and maybe put some pressure back on the UHL, who's clearly just trying to hope that this goes away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, oh, yeah, we suspended him. You know, don't don't look over here. And then the one guy making noise, ah, we're going to fire him. And they're just going to hope that, that it goes away. So, um, yeah, yeah, we'll see if there's anything else that the, that the IIHF can do here. Um, obviously, the, uh, you know, he's, this isn't a player we're ever going to see in the NHL. Um, no. at this point. So there's, you know, nothing that, that locally we can do, but no. it is, it is a, to your point, Paul, it's, it's a good reminder that I think these things haven't gone away and, as much as we wish they had. And your point about the IIHF is interesting. They've just put a new president in place to take over from René Fizel, another French uh, native uh, from France. And, and it's an opportunity to put for him to put his stamp out there and say, Yes, we're, we're changing uh, leadership here, and this is what we stand for. And a great opportunity to make a real statement. I challenge them on behalf of both of us to get that right. So that's our little rant from our soapbox. But uh, let's get into, AJ, our third of four preseason pods where we're going to focus on the teams of the Metropolitan Division. That means that our listeners are going to hear updates about Carolina, Columbus, New Jersey, New York Islanders, New York Rangers, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and Washington. And so we're going to break down the goaltending situations, the defense pairs, and the forward lines for each team, as well as giving you our predictions for the end of season. And I'm really anxious to get to that part to see where you think the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to wind up because uh, we used to talk about this division with the Penguins and the Caps at the top of the heap. I don't know if we can make that case today. So uh, something for our listeners to, to anticipate during the course of the show. And at the end of it, when we release it, we put it on social media and we hope that you weigh in with your thoughts and opinions as well. So with that, let's kick it off and take a look at the first team in alphabetical order here is the Carolina Hurricanes, and they begin with a combination of forwards that is the envy of some teams in the league when you get past the first couple of lines. I think you see that they have a wealth of talent on there, and uh, the newest name in that six-pack is Jesperi Kotkaniemi. He received for only 20 points in the regular season, but was signed to an offer sheet, which is very intriguing. The first time we've seen that successfully operated uh, uh, on a pretty high-level player. 
in the last several years. And maybe it was even a retaliatory move against Montreal when they tried to get Sebastian Ajo from Carolina a year ago. So a little bit of intrigue there. But uh, to round out the forward lines that I see in the top two, it's Nino Niederreiter, Sebastian Ajo, and Martin Netzcash. They have projecting to split up uh, Teravainen and Ajo on the first two lines. Teravainen instead looks like a second-line winger alongside Vincent Trocek and Jesperi Kotkaniemi. And I think, look, they've got three, four guys there that, that I think could be locks for at least 60 to 70 points. Ajo could even touch a point per game. He was certainly there last year with 57 and 56 games. Nets Cash had a bit of a breakout performance. Teravainen was injury-limited, so note his 15 points is in much fewer games. I think it was around the 20 mark. Trocek, to me, a signature second-line type player. He's a very solid face-off guy and defensively responsible, and I think he's going to get the most out of Teravainen and Kokinyemi in that second unit. Do you see any any guys in the rest of their forward ranks that would threaten that, the positions of these six guys? I think Andrei Svechnikov bears some consideration, but beyond that, it's uh, plug-and-play for third line. Yeah, absolutely. I think you could get, you know, like you said, Andrei Sveshnikov could really move anywhere, right? If they, if they want to put a little more power uh, into that top line, I think you move him up uh, and replace him with Niederreiter and, and you could kind of shuffle things around that way. But I, I do like kind of what they've done here. You know, Aho has his line and, and Niederreiter is no, no slouch there. Uh, Teravine and Trocek on, on their line and then Sveshnikov gets, gets kind of his his own line as well. And it really creates, uh, I think some matchup problems. So that's the only one that I really see moving up or down. Uh, Jasper fast could maybe try and push for something over, over a Martin Neckash, but Neckash really, uh, ha- is coming off a really good season. So I think it's probably set, but you'll see tweaks from time to time. What's not set though, Paul is this D group. That's been, uh, you know, really overhauled. Uh, from last year. Now, obviously, the biggest news is that Dougie Hamilton is gone. Uh, and obviously, that's a, a big change for this club. And it's going to create openings for some other guys here when you consider the fact that, you know, Dougie Hamilton was fourth on this team in, in scoring last season. And I think, you know, there's going to need somebody to step up and, and particularly on the power play as well. Now, Hamilton averaged over three minutes per game uh, with the man advantage for them last year. And so the guys that could step into this, uh, uh, the new additions at least are, are Ian Cole, Ethan Bear. Both those guys are about third pairing. Neither one, maybe Bear, if he can continue to develop, could eventually see some power play minutes. They were so brought in Brendan Smith, who uh, should be a factor. Um, but the one guy that it's hard to know what you're going to get is Tony D'Angelo. Um, he has had some off ice uh, or even on ice issues, uh, you know, the last couple of years. And I saw a lot of people that, uh, you know, kind of maligned this signing and, and didn't like it. And look, I, I don't know the guy on a personal level. So I do think um, everybody should maybe get a second chance. Uh, and, and this is definitely his, so we'll see what he can make out of it. But if he's on the ice and behaving, which is no guarantee, uh, this is a guy that in the past has averaged that kind of minutes on the power play. And I think could be somebody to step into the gap alongside with the names that we do know 
from last year, Jacob Slavin, Brett Pesci, and Brady Skay. You know what? It's interesting that you touched on D'Angelo the way that you did. It's a bit of a sensitive issue when his name comes up because of some of the the stories that are associated with his uh, behavior, let's say. And it was on ice behavior with his teammates and so on. That was the It's a real issue. Uh, Carolina has taken a chance on him for a million bucks. And if he turns the page and really rehabs his image, you've got a guy who has in the past been a very one of the top-scoring defensemen in hockey. That's the possi- possibilities that he offers and, and affords this team. And you need him to rise up because Brady Shea has taken a step backwards offensively. Ethan Bear is too young, I think, and, and doesn't have the experience to take on that load. Uh, ditto for Brendan Smith. He seems to be plugging away at that 15, 20, 25 point level, and I don't see a big jump. Jake Gardner has taken a big step backwards. Funny how you left me to talk about Jake, <laughs> but uh, he had only eight points in limited play last year, and I think is on the downside of his career unless he has a magical rebound. He could be a guy that they are forced to play in uh, the power play situation if D'Angelo falters. But Slavin is uh, Slavin and Pesci, their top two defensemen more known for the acumen on the defensive side of the ice. They totaled 40 points together in a 56-game schedule. And uh, I think Slavin is capable of much more than the 15 that he got. But what's his ceiling age? Is it 30? Is it 35? That's not going to put him in the upper echelon of the scoring defenders here. And that's really the only thing that I'm concerned about this team is who's going to be their big guy on the back end. And uh, Tony D'Angelo seems to be an experiment that they hope will pay off and fill that role. When we look at the goaltending situation, they have three new faces in the mix here, and it's a major overhaul for a team that is expected to be at or near the top of this division. They're putting, they're pinning their hopes on Freddie Anderson, uh, who had a very nice run in Toronto and a nice run before that in Anaheim, and still ranks, I'll say this again, it might shock a lot of people, but as one of the highest winning percentages in the history of hockey. In terms of his game played and win percentage, he's right there with some of the all-time greats. Shocking but true, folks, but he only uh, added to that by going 13-8-3 and in limited play with Toronto last year. So, you know, he's been maligned for some playoff failures, but in the regular season, he's been there as a workhorse, and he'll be tasked with being that same kind of a workhorse. Now they're back into an 80-game schedule. I can see him getting 50-55 to 55 starts easily, uh, particularly when you consider Antti Ranta is behind him and Alex Lyon. Neither of these guys is what I would consider a workhorse or even a viable 1B. They're both there to be the second stringers here, and Ranta himself has had his share of injuries, so it's Freddie Anderson or a bust here uh, in terms of Carolina's hopes in the goaltending department for me. I absolutely agree, and I, I really think, honestly, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Alex Lyon take over as the number two, just because Andy Ranta has, as, as you alluded to, Paul, just been so banged up through throughout his uh, his career here. So I'll, I'll take us into the Columbus Blue Jackets forward lines here, and the big addition for them, uh, a couple, you know, two kind of big additions, but the bigger one is, is Jacob Borisak. Uh, they, they brought him in, in a, a swap for Cam Atkinson, which, you know, I think is probably a win for Columbus. But um, again, it's another one of these one for one deals that, that they did where they traded a player, a center for a wing. Um, they obviously got, you know, they traded away Pierre-Luc Dubois and brought in Patrick Laine. So 
We're running out of uh, centers here in Columbus, but um, <laughs> Jacob Voracek figures to slot into the second line. And, and one guy who could be a factor here is Sean Corrali. They signed him to a four-year deal uh, after his time in Boston. Never really has done much more. You know, his, his career best was 2019 20 with with 23 points so i think that's probably you know 25 points is probably around his ceiling here but he could be a factor in in the top six and maybe push a guy like like uh alex texier for more opportunities here but overall i think we're going to see line Roslavic, and borkstrand that's the first group nyquist uh max dome and Jacob Forsek as the second. Uh, I don't really see a whole lot of guys that could factor other than, like I said, Corrali, especially if you considered moving Roslavic to to the wing, which he's done before. So um, that's my take on the forwards here, Paul. What about you? I I look at Patrick Liney, first of all, has to have a real bounce back year. He's been in the doghouse for the departed John Tortorella for a couple of, uh, for a long stretch of his time with Columbus, but uh that situation is no longer going to be in place. So you hope for a rebound for Line. He should still be the signature face of this franchise and the scoring leader when it comes down to it. But Jack Roslavic was a real find for them, a throw-in in that trade, and he automatically qualified himself with a top-six role here with the way that he played. He outplayed, basically, Line last year, outscored him 34-24 to on the season. So kudos to him for grabbing the brass ring opportunity that has come his way. Oliver Bjorkstrand finished with 44 points in 56 games. You project that out, that's a 60-point season if you can duplicate that. Gustav Nyquist is a guy who didn't play last year because of injury. And before that, AJ, he had a very nice run uh, in his career, upwards of 40, 50, 60 points even he's touched. And he'll need to replicate that to boost this offense to a level of ex- that uh, many hope for them. Uh, you mentioned Jacob Voracek comes in. He'll probably fill in a second-line role. Max Domi uh, has a chance to rehab his own career. He had only 24 points last season. If he can surround himself uh, and play up to the standards that he can bring to the table, that's a pretty good-looking second line. But there's a lot of ifs there. I, I think Voracek is a guy, despite the 43 points, he was in a third-line role in a lot, lot of stretches last year or so. Maybe he's lost a step, and we'll have to see how that plays out. He's now back to a second-line role. It could be good for him, but he has to measure up. And so there's challenges there right across the board. Alexander Tessier behind them in a third-line role will be challenging, pushing. If Domi falters, he'll be the guy that they look to to fill that second-line role, so there could be some value there. Liam Foody's a young guy with a a lot of high expectations. He was a former first-round pick not so long ago, and he has to take the next step, too. So they do have options and waiting in the wings. You mentioned Corrali. He's, for me, a fourth-line player here. Boone Jenner, a guy who could be some insurance, too, but his scoring has has tailed off the last couple of years. So, again, I'll have to say plenty of questions and now i don't know how many answers they're going to get from that forward group on the back end they lost a big piece in seth jones aj and that leaves the scoring and the power play quarterback role exclusively to zach Wierenski. this this team is probably going to revert to four forwards and one d on the power play when before they had the luxury of two offensive-minded defensemen they could throw out there they're limited to one right now and when you look at the other options back there i'm uninspired by any of them you got adam adam boquist with 16 points who comes in as a new player 
Jake Bean with 12 points. Maybe he's the guy with upward mobility in, in terms of contributing more offensively. But the rest of them, Vladislav Gavrikov, Andrew Peake, Miko Leitinen, formerly of the Leafs, and Scott Harrington, also formerly of the Leafs, uh, filling in an eight-pack, but uh, an un- uninspiring one at that. It's going to be it's up to Zach Wierenski to to see if he can come back to being that 20-goal scorer on the back end. He only had 20 points overall last season in a, in a year that was marred a little bit by injury as well. I actually like the addition of, of Boquist. Uh, you know, obviously losing Seth Jones is, is a big loss there, but, you know, sometimes the salary cap makes forces you into these things but those 16 points you mentioned paul they, they came in only 35 games right um you know that that was his second season in his first season another one that was shortened um uh you know due to due to covid here he played 41 games he had 13 points there so i mean this is a guy that certainly could push for you know 35 40 points in, in a full season if he ever gets the opportunity to play one um, he got power play ice time in full seasons while with Chicago and, and maybe could challenge for the number two. Obviously, as you said, Paul, Zach Wierenski is going to be the guy that quarterbacks in number one. I don't think there's any question about that, but Boquist could be in the mix there. In between the pipes, it's, it's two guys that we are familiar with in terms of blue jackets. It's Elvis Merz Lincolns and Jonas Corposalo. Look, I think uh, it's an open competition slash, you know, ride the hot hand situation here. Uh, neither guy reached a 10 win mark last season. Both had subpar goals against average. Merz Lickens was slightly better at 277. Corpusal for his part, a 3.30. So I, th- I think this one is an open competition to watch all season long uh, and, and could change, like I said, just riding the, the hot hand. I don't really foresee either one of these guys separating themselves as the number one do you Paul no I think it's a win and you're in kind of circumstance and I credit Merz Lickens for closing the gap on Corpusello who two years ago looked like he was going to be the guy going forward and, and getting the lion's share but I think you can almost make a case that Merz Lickens has edged ahead of him based on last year's performance enters camp as maybe the 1A to Carpacello being the 1B, but I think like you, we could be seeing like a 42 to 40 split in games played and certainly a win-and-you're-in uh, approach to to uh, any kind of runs these guys may have during the course of the season. So that's uh, we're in agreement there, AJ. If we uh, jump to the next club, we're talking about a New Jersey Devils club that has been mired in the bottom end of, of the standings in this division, but they've done some interesting things to maybe improve their lot, AJ, and uh, it uh, they sprinkled some assistance at each of the key positions. We'll touch on them as we go through it, but we'll start with a look at the offense, and uh, Jack Hughes, uh, formerly a, a very high draft pick in, in the first round a couple of years ago, had 31 points last year, and he needs to take take a bit of a step up Uh, 31 points in 56 games that's barely a 50 point uh, pace and you'd like your number one center to certainly uh, improve on that rate he had the the benefit of playing with a guy who a youngster who really made an impact on his right side Igor Sharangovich with 30 points last year he was a a high scoring rookie in his first season Yanni Kokonen another young guy had 25 points and he uh, there's a lot of youth on the on this team up front and these three guys are all tasked with taking the next step, and they could all be 50, 55-point 
uh, achievers in a first line should they stay healthy and make it to the end of the season. Their second line has been bolstered by the arrival of Thomas Tatar, who made a big splash in Montreal, kind of rehabbing his, his career, AJ. I'll say that uh, with his stay in Montreal before injuries took him out last year for a little bit. But 30-point season, he hopes to build on that. And he could be another guy that tops the 50-point mark. And maybe he threatens Kokkinen for his first-line role on the left side. But uh, he has no slouch at center on the second unit. Another guy who I think was the first overall draft in, in his draft year, and that's Nico Heischer. Another guy who was also limited by injuries to the tune of 11 points in a handful of games last year. Jesper Bratt rounds out that group with 30 points. And uh, so you look at him and there's a lot of skill, not a lot of size, and not a lot of toughness in this six-pack. So I wonder if they will be facing uh, some baggage smashers or some tough, big checking units to try and slow down this unit. That'll be one way to neutralize them. But uh, a lot of skill there and a lot of upward mobility in terms of the scoring possibilities, I suppose. Third liners, fourth liners that might uh, challenge for positions here. Among the names, I see Pavel Zaka, 35 points last season. And if one of the two young centers falters, he's he's easily going to be slotted in there to help them. But a nice, nice bit of reserve uh, potential in, uh, in him. And then Andreas Johnson, also similarly in, limited by injuries. 11 points scored last year. This guy's been a 20-point scorer, a 20-goal scorer in the league, and I think he he will push to get an opportunity to get back in that circle again. That's my view on the forwards. AJ, what do you think about uh, anything that I might have missed or agree or disagree? Well, I think it was interesting that you waited until Thomas Tatar was, you know, no longer with the Habs to say anything nice about him. But um, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I agree. I, I uh, especially Andreas Johan, uh, Johnson, rather. Uh, I think he could be a bigger factor than than obviously a fourth line player. The one guy that I'm really uh, interested to to watch here is Nico Heischer. I mean, you look at his point totals have dropped every single season, but so has his games played. I mean, his rookie year, 52 points, uh, 20 goals in, in 82 games. Like that's a fantastic rookie season. Then he's limited to just 69 games a year after that, 47 points then 58 games with 36 points. And then finally last season, 21 games still got 11 points. I mean, let's, you know, that's nothing to, to to shy away from but i yeah i think that's the biggest factor to me is can he stay on the ice and if he does like what are his numbers going to be like and i i think that he could go for those of you out there that are in redraft formats like i think he could fly under the radar because he just has struggled to stay in the lineup and and do you risk you know a mid a mid-round pick maybe on him if you were going to get, if I could guarantee you 22, uh, 20 goals and 52 points, I think you say yes, right? So it'll be interesting to see where he, he comes in on this one. Looking at the blue line, obviously the big addition here is Dougie Hamilton comes in and, and signs a, a seven-year, $63 million contract with the Devils. Um, but don't sleep on the addition of, of Ryan Graves either. This is a player that... Uh, they they brought in uh, in a in a trade. He uh, last year numbers were down a little bit, just 15 points in, in 54 games. The year before that, though, uh, he was at 26. So you know he's obviously not a Dougie Hamilton, but he can put up some numbers. And and I think he's a player to watch. And and I like the idea of pairing them together potentially. What all this means for PK Subban is hard to really know. I think for sure. 
the number one power play goes to Dougie Hamilton. I think there's no argument there. And really, I think New Jersey is just going to like ride out this year until they can get uh, Subban's contract uh, off the books here. I mean, they are paying a lot of money for just two defensemen uh, between those deals. You've got both guys making $9 million against the cap. So $18 million tied up in two players. Uh, that's a pretty pretty hefty sum there. But uh, obviously, Dougie Hamilton, I think, was worth the addition. And they'll be happy to see P.K. Subban walk out the door as his numbers haven't really produced much since they brought him in. Paul, what say you about this blue line group? First hot take of this show, I'm going to say P.K. Subban is going to be at Toronto Maple Leaf next year. That's my early call, and keep that one on your back burner for a while because uh, the $9 million comes off the books. He's going to be a guy that needs to rehab his career, and he might be in a, coming into a, a nice opportunity elsewhere, and I think Toronto will be a good landing spot for him. But uh, back to this club and the analysis there, they have four guys. You know, we talk about some teams that search for some guys with an offensive upside from the blue line. The Devils suddenly have four guys to choose from. You spoke about Dougie Hamilton. That's obvious. Ryan Graves has always, had always had the misfortune of being kind of like the third best option in his time in Colorado, AJ. But he might be number two in this instance. And partnered with Dougie Hamilton, he will be a part of a lot of offensive forays with his defense partner, should that hold. They can also mix and match guys like Ty Smith and Damon Severson. And Damon Severson, I kept an eye on this guy from his days in the AHL. Power play specialist, points producer wherever he's been. He got 21 in, in uh, Jersey last year in a year where they were really offensively challenged. Ty Smith is a guy who had a very fine rookie season, 23 points himself. These guys could both threaten 30, 35 points easily behind uh, the top two guys. Dougie Hamilton should be a 60-point guy uh, on the back end here with all the ice time that's going to come his way as the linchpin on the power play and if the forwards develop as some of the youngsters, I think, can. So there's a lot of uh, choices here, whereas before, I might have put a big X through this club in terms of fantasy value, AJ, in terms of do they have anybody that would chase after it? Now they have a handful of guys. So things are looking up for this team, and you turn your attention to the goaltending situation, and you start to even feel better about that because we saw Mackenzie Blackwood take on a big role here last year. He had 35 decisions, 14, 17, and 4 was the record. 304 was goals against, which is admirable in the face of the tough schedule and the fact that these guys were often the second best team on the ice no matter who they played last year in the limited schedule and then this year they get help from the arrival of Jonathan Bernier who toiled in a rubber factory in Detroit let's make no mistake about that he faced a ton of shots and somehow managed to get his goals against under three and a win-loss record of nine eleven and one in a situation in Detroit was similarly uh, a case where that team was facing better opposition every night so a very credible tandem here with the experience of Bernier helping Mackenzie Blackwood, who's one of the younger starting goalies in the NHL, I think Blackwood still gets the lion's share of the games. I could see him getting 45 to 47 starts and leaving the rest 35 or so for Bernier. Here's my only concern about that, Paul. In, in a normal kind of world and situation, I, I would agree with your take on the split there. Um, but Mackenzie Blackwood is the one New Jersey player who is not vaccinated against COVID-19, which is a concern to me. Now, obviously, there's some time still to, to get that resolved, um, but teams are going to be traveling. They're going to be around. Um, it takes just, you know, just 
one interaction or one breakthrough case on his team, uh, and then suddenly he's out for you know a week, two weeks, whatever it could be. Um, so that that's the one kind of concern I have uh, about that uh, is that he is is their un, unvaccinated player. So uh, I'll move on to the New York Islanders here in terms of uh, our, our breakdown here. And it starts with pretty much the same top six uh, that, that we're used to seeing from them uh, with the sort of addition of Anders Lee, who will be back after missing a, a significant chunk of time last year. You know, they, they uh, had him for just 27 games. Uh, he'll be fit and healthy and ready to go. And I think he immediately improves this top six ab- across the board. So you've got Anders Lee, Matthew Barzell, Kyle Palmieri, uh, Barzell led the way with 45 points last season. I would expect that to continue, uh, to go up for them. And, and really, uh, I should clarify Paul Mary kind of returns, uh, to, to the long Island, uh, situation after several years in, in New Jersey, um, and, and splitting time, uh, you know, he joined the team last year and, he, and he's back. So I would kind of call that an addition since he wasn't there the full season last year. Second time, you're looking like Anthony Bolivier, Brock Nelson, Josh Bailey, all guys capable of being in that 40 to 50 point range, I think. Uh, and then John Gabriel Pajot anchors the third line with uh, new man Richard Ponick on the left and possibly Oliver Wallstrom on the right. And then, again, more of the same for the fourth line. It's, it's that bruising fourth line that a lot of people uh, often call the best fourth line in hockey and, and Matt Martin, Casey Sezikis, and Cal Clutterbuck. So, just a couple minor tweaks, you know, they, they keep Palmieri around, they get Anders Lee back healthy, and then they add Richard Ponick. Uh, I don't see a lot of weaknesses here, Paul, do you? No, I don't. And, and really, it begins with the bottom six for me. You, you have two lines there that are better than the average third and fourth lines of other teams in the league, and that really makes this team a very difficult one to play. When you've got guys who are more, more noted for their physicality who are contributing, like Martin and Sezikis and Clutterbuck, that really makes this team very dangerous because there's no shifts that you can take off. Uh, Anders Lee needs to turn around his career, though, AJ. Since John Tavares left, they've been saying, oh, this team has been better without him and this and that. Anders Lee is one guy that would say no. He's, his totals have declined ever, ever since uh, JT left, and uh, the injury situation didn't help him, but he was on a downward slide points-wise the three prior years as well. So I got, I think the challenge is for him to turn things around and ditto for Palmieri, AJ certainly had a nice, nice playoff. And certainly he came over for another, from another team that was in, uh, offensive straights much of the season. So an opportunity for both of the wingers to get things righted to play around Matthew Barzal. He's going to have to be the rising tide that lifts all boats there. I like to say that. And if he does, he will make good on, on my prediction for him to really close close in on that points per game uh, tally of 80 points. I, I see that that big of a total for him if he can hang on for the to his health for the whole of the regular season. He was 45 points last season, so almost a point per game for the number of games that he played as well. You mentioned Beauvillier, Nelson, and Bailey. That's a very credible second line. Bailey, uh, Bell, uh, Nelson, in fact, is one of those score-first type centers, AJ. He might get 30 goals this year uh, with those two guys on his wings as, as healthy as they might be. And Bailey, one of the better puck distributors 
years from the wing position. They've got good insurance in injury, injury circumstances. If anybody on the top six falters, Peugeot or Panic could move up and help them out. And Oliver Wallstrom, a young guy, they're looking for him to take the next step. 21 points for his uh, record last season. He should improve on that as well. We look at the defense pairings, and again, it's familiar names at the top of the list with Adam, Adam Pellick and Ryan Pullock. Neither one of these guys reached the 20-point mark last year, but they're basically uh, uh, one of the, the maybe the best shutdown defense pairing that there is in hockey. This team is looking for some offensive leadership. Will they get it from Pollock? I'm not sure, but he might be the best bet of this lot. Scott Mayfield and Andy Green aren't the answer. Certainly, Zdeno Chara is not. Noah Dobson might be the the guy that rises above this group to claim some power play time, and uh, people expect him to to be an offensive contributor based on where he was drafted, a high draft pick, and really has has been a little slow to develop. But in this scenario, he he is going to be insulated by Zdeno Chara on a regular shift, it looks like, and will likely be given a shot, I think, to make an appearance on the power play in this group. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you, Paul. You know, I mentioned the the acquisition of, of Richard Panic, uh, and that was to send away Nick Letty. Um, they they traded away their best offensive defenseman, um, so they they really don't have anybody uh, that that really I think is the immediate thought of you look at this guy and you'd be like, oh, that's the guy that'll quarterback the power play unit. That's the guy that'll step into the gap from Nick Letty. But I agree with you. Noah Dobson would be the one player I would be looking at as, as maybe possibly doing that. Between the pipes, we're going to see Simeon Varlamov and Ilya Sorokin. I expect a, another year of kind of a split workload here, Paul. I, I don't see any reason to kind of deviate from what they did last year. Varlamov went 19-11-4, a, a 204 goals against average. Sorokin 13, six and three with a two, one, seven goals against average. So, I mean, unless somebody completely drops off those numbers, right? Like if, if somebody's significantly worse than what they did last year, I just don't see any reason to, to stop splitting these two. Obviously, uh, you know, Sorokin is considered the netminder of the future, um, but they've got both of them locked in for another two years at relatively reasonable rates. And the splitting netminder thing has worked in Long Island for the last couple of years. Different guys, same uh, same situation. So I, I don't see any reason not to you know expect a, a near 50-50, maybe 60-40 in favor of Varlamov. But I, I think uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him go 41-41. and 41. What do you think? Well, I think that's, a, that's an even money bet for me right now, AJ. It could be another one of those win-in-your-end situations. But you said it, you know, the... They've spent $9 million on this pairing. They're a defense-first team. You can see it in the goals against averages of these two guys, both hovering right, just a shade over two per game. So you're not going to see big over-under numbers in in games where the Islanders are set to play. They know how to keep a lid on the other team's offense, and they're a very tough team to play against. And it'll be a defense-first approach that predicates their their level of success. So... uh, Anyway, before we move on, AJ, we've got to take a break from our look in the, in the Metropolitan Division to give our sponsors a chance to strut their stuff. And uh, we will take a pause here as and bring you back the remaining teams of the, this division. You're listening to Puckcast with Statsman and AJ.
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we're back on the show. Before we continue, let's have AJ remind you how to get in touch with us during the week. Yeah, we always encourage all of you to, to that listen to the show, whether it's your first time or, or you listen to us every week, to send your comments and questions that you may have about fantasy hockey or, or just hockey in general, your, your team's questions. Uh, you can connect with me on Twitter at AJScholes24, and you can reach Paul at Statsman22. We'd be happy to, to share. If we get any really good questions, we'd be happy to share those uh, and discuss those on one of our future shows as well. All right, partner. We're talking about the New York Rangers up next. The forward lines here are blessed with a, uh, a lot of offensive upside. When you consider the likes of Artemi Panera and Amika Zibanejad, you're talking about two guys that were around a point per game last year. In fact, Panarin, 58 points, uh, was better than a point per game guy. Ryan Strom, a notch behind them at 49. So at center, they got Sabanajad with 50, Strom with 49. That's a very nice one-two punch there. Chris Kreider, one of the big men in hockey who can really fly on the left wing, is kind of underrated for my money, AJ, but I like the fit with him and Zibanejad on this unit, and they're looking for Alexis Lafreniere, who was the number one draft pick last season, to take his next step. I could see him getting that right and being a threat to get 50 points this season. So could be a pretty prolific number one unit. And then Artemi Panarin should be a guy who threatens for top 10 scoring in terms of points in the NHL if all things go well for him. Uh, he's got a playmaking center in Ryan Strom who will help him reach that. And then Capo Caco, who is a couple of years removed from being a top three draft pick in the NHL himself. So between him and, and Lafreniere, that right wing looks pretty good to have two very competent scorers. I, I look for Capo to Kako to take the next step in his development and be a guy that approaches the 40 to 45 point mark. He had 17 in, uh, in limited schedule last season. They brought in at great expense, Barkley Goudreau to a long-term contract. AJ, this guy capitalized on, on the profile that he had with Tampa big time. He had 20 points for them in a third line role and will be filling in in the same capacity here and uh, I think he really made bank on, on his situation. Philip Kietel is a, is a guy who's a third-line center, another guy with some really good offensive upside. And uh, then Vitaly Kravtsov, who has had injury woes since he, too, was a formerly a high draft pick a couple of years ago. It looks like he's finally healthy 
to, to be a part of things here. They have three very credible offensive units here, particularly if Godreau can dis- discover some offensive magic next to these two uh, young talents who have a high uh, offensive upside. Beyond that, it's uh, Ryan Reeves will be a headliner uh, when they face Washington. I'm sure people are going to expect some heavyweight battles out of him, but he's going to keep people honest and the flies off of some of their, their skilled players here, so a good addition in him in that regard too. Yeah, I think what's interesting about these groups, first off, I'll say there there is nobody in this bottom six that's going to challenge the top six. I mean, these are this is a set top six. Nobody's moving out of there anytime soon as, as long as everybody's healthy. And look, you mentioned uh, that Barkley Goudreau, uh, you know, signed a pretty significant deal. Yeah, I, I would agree with that 100%. That was a, a big contract that he signed. But you know what? his name's on the Stanley cup two more times than the rest of this entire roster. So, right. um, <laughs> you know, he, he, you bring something to it when, when you have that. And, and I actually like the acquisition of Sammy Blay. Look, when you have to give up a guy like Pavel Buchnevich and, and get some sort of return, I think Sammy Blay could, uh, you know, be in the mix for top six or not top six for a third line role, or just provide a little bit of a scoring, uh, look on that that fourth line. So I, I like the you know kind of work that they did here, um, and it's all about making sure and, and hoping that these guys who are a first and second overall pick respectively in Lafreniere and Kako uh, take the next step. And and even Kratzoff, you know, after uh, an okay rookie season, he needs to take another step forward. Speaking of uh, guys that need to take some step forward. Although I'm not sure there's a whole lot of room. You look at a couple of youngsters on the back line and Adam Fox, 47 points. So I'm not sure where the next step is for him. But Keandre Miller, uh, just 12 points last year. I think he could play a bigger role on this team. And, and I would like to see that out of him. You know, it, it was a, a strong rookie season. Average just about a minute of power play ice time over the course of the year. And I, I think he can be a bigger factor on that. Obviously, Adam Fox is going to take the bulk of that workload and he'll pair up with Ryan Lindgren, who's a little bit more of a defensively minded guy. And, and I like that, uh, you know, we've talked at length on this show about, you know, defensive guy, offensive guy, but even he picked up 16 points, which when you're playing with a guy like Fox, it's, it's hard not to do. Jacob Truba is the other guy to go with Miller. And again, he's, he's somebody who's, you know, if Miller gets more power play time, that's going to be less for Truba. So it's kind of a situation to watch on how those two round out they'll uh on the third line looks like we'll have patrick niemeth who's a new addition and nils lundquist who played in sweden last year does have some offensive upside to his game that he's shown overseas um, but we haven't really seen much here in terms of of the the u.s play so another kind of young uh rookie guy who could make an impact uh on this team and and i really like what i'm seeing out of this defensive group how about you I, I do with one exception. I'm concerned with the big money that they've laid out for Jacob Truba. I think they expected him to be the guy that came up with the numbers that Adam Fox produced, but Fox has lapped him and then some to take over as the linchpin of the scoring that comes from the back end here with his 47 points. Truba only tallied 12, and so he has to step that side of his game up. He's done it in the past, but it would be more of a surprise at this point to see him uh, find that level again. So my money's on Adam Foote 
to deliver the goods. I think the guy that has the upside, you mentioned him, is K. Andre Miller. Could be the number two guy in terms of point scoring from the back end here. Beyond that, uh, Truba is the guy they wish for to find find the, uh, the form that he had earlier in his career in Winnipeg, but it's been missing for a while. So uh, they'd like it to be a 300 hun- a monster right now. It's up two heads right now, and one of them is Adam Fox, who is one of the very best scorers among all defensemen in the NHL. Turning our attention to the goaltending situation, Igor Shosturkin came over here with many accolades uh, before he set foot on the ice in, in the NHL, and he started to live up to them last season with a 16, 14, and 3 mark, but the goals against average is the attraction here, folks. 262, and he partners with Alexander Georgiev at 271. You don't hear about Henrik Lundqvist anymore. Uh, King Henrik finally uh, decided to lock, uh, to hang things up, uh, he had a very serious issue that took him away from the ice uh, last season. By all accounts, he's back in, in good health, but uh, saw the end of the line, and uh, his distinguished career will be recognized by the hanging of his jersey in Madison Square Garden around Christmas time, if I understand, remember correctly. So it's in capable hands that that mining is here in New York, and uh, I wonder if there's going to be much of a disparity in the games played here, but Chesterkin should have the upper hand, A.J., I absolutely agree. I, I think it'll be uh, mostly his his role here um, with Georgiev chipping in from time to time. So I'll just jump us right into the Philadelphia Flyers, who come in with uh, a top top line of familiar names in Claude Giroux, Sean Couturier, and Travis Konechny. And I, I don't really see anything changing there. Um, obviously, we saw some shuffling. I, I talked about uh, you know early Jacob Borsak being gone uh you know he factored into that first line so maybe connect kind of moving in there but um you know not a, not a lot of change there the second line is where things are completely different uh looks like joel Farabee projected to get the first look he had a real good season last year 38 points Derek broussard comes in uh i i will just leave it this way i i, I hate that addition um yeah. for lack of a better term i just don't uh, his career has not been the same really since he left the Rangers. I mean, you're looking at uh, his last season with the Rangers, he had 31 points, and then it drops to 25-25-9 in that disastrous Pittsburgh, Florida, Colorado year. Uh, 22 points on Long Island. Uh, uh, or I'm sorry, I was looking at the wrong co- column here. Um, 58 points with the Rangers, 39 with Ottawa, 46-23-32-20. So, I mean, it, not terrible, but he's just not the same player that he was. And I think he's better suited as a third-line player at this stage of his career. And another guy whose name I would say the same thing about is going to be Cam Atkinson. 34 points last year. Uh, so, again, decent season, but he's not the 60, 50, even 40-point guy that he that he used to be, in, in my opinion. Um, and so I think we're going to see a, a little bit of a drop-off from Philadelphia this year. Uh, I, I don't love those groups. Then they've got Nate Thompson, who they brought in, is, is going to anchor the third line with Scott Lawton. Lawton's maybe the one guy I think could challenge for a top six here. Um, outside of James Van Riemsdyk, him, I would expect him to overtake Cam Atkinson at some point. He had 43 points last year, so I, I think he could do well. So it's just a weaker second and third line uh, than I think we're used to in the last couple of years. At least that's how I read it. Um, and part of that is, you know, the fact that Kevin Hayes is going to be out for a good chunk of time. Um, that's that's a big loss for them. 
And they've had a couple other young guys in Wade Allison and, and Tanner Lakzinski uh, who have picked up injuries that maybe would have factored into a third spot or, or maybe challenged for more. So uh, I, I don't love the forwards here, uh, at least not in the way I did last year when I predicted Philadelphia to win the division. <laughs> right, and you probably weren't too disappointed with the way things turned out for them. But, A.J., for me, I agree with your assessment of the center position primarily. They're pinning their hopes on Brassard to be a second-line center and Nate Thompson to be a third line. Those guys are probably playing a level up that – higher than, than I think they should. The answer for me would be to move Claude Giroux back to the middle of the ice to give them a more formidable one-two punch. But in the last couple of seasons, Giroux's played more of a left-wing role here and uh, is pegged to, to start that way. But I think they're going to be looking at that as a possibility to change things up offensively. Can they get another big year out of JVR? I don't know, AJ. He certainly started the season like a house on fire last year. Didn't finish that way. And you wonder if that's the beginning of a slide there. I'm a big James Van Riemsdyk fan because of his time in Toronto, but I see a decline in him. He lost a bit of a step in the later going last season, and I wonder how that translate translate with another trip around the sun for him. And uh, good news, though, to report, Oscar Lindblom is uh, cleared to play from the beginning of the season this year after dealing with cancer. Uh, he beat it, and it looks like he's going to be fit to start the season with the club, and he might be a guy that moves up in the, in the lineup uh, to challenge the likes of Scott Lawton and even maybe James Van Riemsdyk for a top-nine role. Joel Farabee is cast as a second-line left wing. I shy away from that one as well. Uh, so for me, like you, there's a lot of questions among the forwards here. In terms of the defense pairing, I like what they've done here to bolster this group. It A couple of years ago, they had a young six-pack on defense. They've changed the look of that. They've retained only two of those youngsters in the mix, and Ivan Provorov and Travis Sanheim, but they've surrounded them with quality veterans, I think. You'll have to say with the addition of Ryan Ellis, and Keith Yandel, they've got two very good offensively-minded players, who, two guys who can play a lot of minutes, too, that they've added to the mix. And you can't sleep on Rasmus Ristolainen. He comes out of that minefield in Buffalo and must feel like he's breathing fresher air than, than he has in the last five years when he comes to a different situation. Even though Philadelphia's might not be that much better than Buffalo, I think it's going to be significant for his play and his point total. I'm going to, I, I'm going to say they have four really good offensive options for scoring on the back end. If you're short for, for that in DFS play, don't be shy about plugging any of these four guys in. They all have it between the ears, and the skill set is there to produce offensively. I really like this six-pack on defense. Yeah, absolutely. This this might be one of the best defensive groups uh, across the board here in terms of what they have offensively, defensively, um, yeah, I just, I don't see a lot of, a lot of weak spot here. I agree with that. Um, in the nets, uh, I would expect based on who they brought in to be the number two, that we should hopefully see a lot of Carter Hart this year. Um, but he's coming off a, a bad season. I, I really don't think there's another way to describe it. Went just nine, 11 and five, 3.67 was the goals against average here. And they brought in Martin Jones from San Jose to back him up. Uh, not sure that's the best choice based on his recent <laughs> run of form. Um, you're talking about they brought in a guy who recorded his lowest win total since 2014-15 when he played just 15 games. Um, you're also talking about a guy who posted his worst goals against average 
since turning pro last season. So not exactly a, uh, you know, ringing support here uh, for, for them. They're going to really have to pin their hopes on Carter Hart rebounding. Cause if it goes sideways again, like it did last year, I'm not real sure that, uh, that they have the, the backup here to bring it back, you know, bring it around um, in, in Marty Jones. And, and I say this as a guy who for years was a, a Martin Jones, you know, defender. I, I liked using him. I, I would draft him all the time and, and use him in DFS, but uh, it, it's just, he's, he's dropped off the last few years and, and I don't think he's an improvement uh, to the goaltending group here in Philadelphia. Yeah. For me, this is the biggest question mark, maybe in the division, AJ, when you consider Carter Hart, we weren't talking about him two years ago like this. He was the, the, the savior, the guy that changed the course of, of history in Philadelphia where we maligned goalies for years and years. And I've done it on prior shows for years and years before that. It's been a long time since they had a guy deliver the goods like Carter Hart did year before last. But last year, he went in a very wrong direction. And you got to hope that, that whatever was troubling him last season he is something he put behind him. It wasn't really an injury issue. It was something more between the ears, I think, that we really, really never, never got a full explanation what went on to cause him to go south the way that he did. But he really lost his way. And you just hope for his sake that he turns it around and uh, if he does, it'll really help the Flyers' fortunes. If it doesn't, this is a non-playoff team. It's that simple. The Pittsburgh Penguins, the forward lines, AJ, I'll take us into that, and I'll give you the floor in a moment. I'll try and get through this quickly because I'm anxious to hear what you have to say. But uh, they're going to be missing their two best players up front, Crosby and Malkin. I would like to for you to provide an update on what their situation is health-wise going forward. At least that's what I hear from my end. But they still have a wealth of talent up front. J- Jeff Gardner uh, Carter was a real good addition at center. The veteran saw a bit of a revival in Pittsburgh once he arrived there, and I think he's great insurance for the offensive depth. You can plug him in at center and on the wing. And on the wing, if they're missing Malkin particularly, he'll be a guy that gets no worse than a second-line center. Role, and they have really good quality on the wings around him. They have three very good, four very good wingers to choose from: and Brian Rust, Jake Gunsel, Jason Zucker, and Kasperi Kapanen. All three, all four of these guys, is capable of a forty-five to fifty-point season. Minimally, Gunsel could Gunsel should threaten almost a point a game if he gets to play with one of these two centers on a regular basis and on a potent power play as well. Then depth players, they added three more new faces on the uh, on the third line, and they're hoping that they can mesh. The, they're all veterans of the league: Brock McGinn, Dominic Simone, and Danton Heinen. Heinen is a guy that I thought was going to do very well in his first stop in Boston, but things never really materialized. Maybe he gets that opportunity in the right wing mix in in Pittsburgh why don't you tell us about uh, the guys that I mentioned maybe did I miss anything but certainly start off please with an update on the status of Malkin and Crosby well yeah I mean Malkin's uh the one further away with the knee injury looks like possibly December um at best in in terms of a, a return time here and then Crosby was on a at least six weeks, which is always fun to hear um, when they say it'll be at least six weeks, which would have him missing um, basically about the first two weeks of the season. I would guess that we probably won't see Crosby until I'll say November. Um, we tentatively have an estimated return date on rotowire.com based on that six weeks as October 23rd. Um, but I would guess it'll be, it'll be closer to November. Um, what I will say about this club is that we, 
are starting to see the beginnings of, uh, you know, Brian Burke's kind of philosophy on here. They brought in Brian Boyle um, to be uh, on a professional tryout. He could possibly land a bottom six role. He's six, six. Uh, that's, that's no small human there. Looks like uh, Redeem Zahorna is factoring in as possibly making the team again in a bottom six role. He's also six six, big uh, big guy that they drafted, and I think Anthony Angelo is another guy at six five who could possibly make the team. So you get where I'm I'm going with this. I think Pittsburgh's moving a bit away from kind of that speed and skill. Um, that they've been known for for many years. And that's not to say they won't have it in guys like Gensel and Kapanen and Rust, um, but they're trying to add a little bit of size here. So it'll be interesting to see how things square out. Brock McGinn basically is your Brian Tanev, or uh, your, yeah, your Tanev uh, replacement here after he was lost in, in the expansion draft. I, like you, Paul, uh, there were times I thought Denton Heinen could be a factor um, in you know, that, that second year in Boston, 47 points in 77 games and really hasn't gotten much better since then. And, and last year, 14 points in 43 games. I get it's hard to be good on Anaheim, um, but you would have expected a little bit more, which is why the Penguins were kind of able to get them for a steal on a one year, $1.1 million deal. So looks like Evan Rodriguez might be the guy that goes number two. Uh, with Zucker and Kapanen to start the year uh, so that they can kind of have Bluger, Heinen, and McGinn together. I, I think that's a line that could be more beyond uh, the injuries. So we'll see. But um, center is definitely not a strong spot for the team right now as they head in to the start of the season, which obviously is not something you would normally say about Pittsburgh. On the back end, there are no new faces and no new places here for the defensive pairings. It's all the same things that we have uh, gotten used to here. Brian Dumoulin, Chris Letang on the top group. Dumo, the shutdown guy. Letang, the offensive power. And it's going to be up to Chris Letang, I think, to really carry this team, be a leader on this team uh, during the, the first month of the season. They've got Mike Matheson, who's had a bit of a career resurgence in, in Pittsburgh, has kind of found his offensive game a little bit, pairing up with John Marino, who had a pretty significant setback, I, I would say, in terms of development. Uh, the sophomore slump is a real thing, and I think it hit him uh, pretty hard. 13 points last year instead of 26 like the year before. Um, and that's with increased power play responsibilities. So um, I think who who quarterbacks that second group is pretty up in the air. And it'll be maybe a rotating group right now of Marcus Pedersen, Pedersen Mark Friedman, and Chad Ruido as, as the bottom pairing here. And, you know, they've talked about Pierre Oliver Joseph or UC Ricola, you know, factoring in. But both of them are left-handed defensemen. And Mike Sullivan doesn't like to put guys necessarily out of position here and getting into that left-handed six pack of, of Dumo Matheson and Pedersen. I just don't know where they fit. So it'll be interesting to see Paul, do you have any other takeaways from this blue line? I, I don't think there's much to add personally. <laughs> no, they've leaned on Chris Letang though forever, AJ, and he's played at a high level. It's really tasking him to keep it up for one more year and hope that they see Matheson or Marino take the next step in their development. I think 
that handoff needs to happen, or maybe a bridge between the point totals has to be achieved this year. It's too much of a gap right now and too much pressure to, to pin on Latang for another season. I know that he rehabbed his image with, with fans locally there with an outstanding year last year with 45 points, kind of back to where the level is uh, that he has had most of his career as one of the leading point getters in the NHL. He'll be tasked to stay at or near that level to keep this boat afloat until his buddies get back at center ice there. In terms of the goaltending mix, I think there's a real challenge here for Tristan Jari and Casey DeSmith, given that they're missing the two prolific uh, centers and their their offense is going to be in disarray. Their, their defensive structure is going to be the one that that, that uh, is going to be fo- the focus in the early going. And if they can keep their goals against uh, for Jari at 2.75 and DeSmith at 2.54, if you could sign up for that, Again, AJ, you'd take it today, I'm sure, but it'll be a challenge for them to keep at those levels given the injuries that they're going to be dealing with right out of camp. So challenge right out of the shoot for the Penguins, I think, but uh, two quality netminders that uh, other teams would, would like to have. Yeah, I mean, the the thing with Jari is the, the playoff collapse. I mean, that's that's going to be the biggest thing that everybody – from Pittsburgh kind of focuses on and, and especially that game five, you basically gave it away and then the series fell apart from there. So yeah, 25, nine and three is great. Um, but you know, I, I think a lot of them, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of people, myself included are, are, you know, what have you seen lately? And right now I don't think there's a lot of confidence and interest in Jari going into the season among uh, among penguins fans in washington uh look the biggest thing is this nicholas backstrom injury uh classified as week to week about a week ago uh is he going to miss the start of the season is he not with with this hip injury um that kind of blows everything up for them because if if he does miss time um you know lars eller steps in and i think lars eller is capable of sliding in to a second line role for a limited amount of time, but it does really raise some question marks about the bottom six, you know, Connor Sherry, Daniel Sprong and, and Nick Dowd as a third line. I, I don't love that. And then, you know, Carl Hagelin, Garnet Hathaway, and I don't know, maybe Michael Scarbosa or Connor McMichael, like it, it gets pretty thin outside of that top six. So that's the biggest thing to be worried about in Washington. If Backstrom's healthy, then the top six is a lot of what we've seen before. Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, and Tom Wilson is the top line. All those guys will produce. All those guys will get points. Mantha, uh, I think, has been a great addition to this team, and I think he'll continue to grow into the role here with TJ Oshie on the other wing. And again, who's going to be the center? Obviously, if healthy, it'll be Nicholas Backstrom. So, um, no, no new additions to this club, Paul. Pretty quiet offseason for them. That's right, you know, and uh, they got a year older at the skill positions. And, uh, you know, Ovechkin, the, the countdown is on as far as I'm concerned for him and, and chasing down Wayne Gretzky. And I really hope that he makes it uh, an interesting race for years to come. He signed another extension, so he'll be around for a while. Can he keep it up at that high level? It seems to me that uh, he's going to be the centerpiece of the offense once again. And, and nobody in the NHL has been able to shut him down on the power play, too, which is interesting. You know where he's going to set up in his office at the faceoff circle. He seems to get those chances every game, every power play, and he delivers. And so uh, I want to see that continue because I'm a fan of these guys that stick around for a long time and make their way up the all-time scoring statistic ladders. But 
make no mistake, if Backstrom's out for any significant length of time, that's a real blow to this team and uh, could be a real decisive factor, just as the Pittsburgh center situation is too. Uh, so Kuznetsov is a guy who will be challenged to to really have his act in, in gear from the get-go and work with Ovechkin and, and Wilson to drive that offense until Backstrom gets back and healthy. They are blessed with the fact that they have Anthony Mantha, who was a tremendous acquisition from the Detroit Red Wings, and uh, they certainly give a quality player to get get him in Verona. But I, I like this guy's size, and I think he can be Ovechkin light on the left wing on the second line. And TJ Oshie, he just keeps playing and playing, and, and one of my favorite guys to watch outside of the, the blue and white that I favor. Uh, I love the way Oshie plays the game. It gets his nose dirty night in and night out. So uh, a wealth of talent on the wings, a lot of experience, that should drive the offense here, and uh, Backstrom gets healthy, they'll be just fine. Eller is great insurance in that third-line role and can play a second line, so uh, there'll be a drop-off in terms of scoring, but hopefully it's temporary for the Caps, and uh, they're looking for Sheary to be insurance and maybe take a next step in his development, as with Daniel Sprong. So the top nine looks good here, AJ, in my opinion, and then it's plug-and-play. Carl Haglin, also a depth guy on the left wing that would be maybe a top-six winger in some other cities, He's going to get fourth line minutes here. So a lot of talent on the wings. Question mark in the middle with the health of Backstrom, but the veterans will deliver uh, one more year of productivity here, I'm sure. In terms of the defense in this organization, John Carlson, again, one of the top scoring defensemen in hockey. He might be the first guy that gets drafted in a lot of pools from the defense position. Once again, Dmitry Orlov, his partner, gets brought up in his wake and he got 22 points last season. Could mean 30 to 35 in an 82-game schedule. Justin Schultz, a guy at 27 points last year, that means you got three guys that could be 40-point or more. Certainly Carlson, you should peg him for 60. So they got three offensive weapons from the back end and three other guys that are more like placeholders and defensive specialists. And uh, what say you about this six-pack again, one that hasn't had too much in the way of changes threatening them? No, I mean, the only change for Washington is that they get Michael Kemney back after missing a year uh, due to injury. I mean, that's really uh, the only big addition. They did uh, lose Brendan Dillon, um, but I think that's a fair swap to get Kempney back. So uh, I won't add much on, on the blue blue line pairings. They're, they're pretty much the same, and the, and the same can be said for the goalie situation. They initially lost uh, Vidic Vanasek to, uh, to Seattle, but then they opted to trade uh, to get him back. And so it obviously speaks to what they think of, of, of his live, uh, you know, level of play. They uh, traded a, a second round pick in 2023 in order to, to reacquire him. Uh, and, and really we saw him take uh, the bulk of the workload last season, I think mostly because, you know, Samsonov had some issues. I guess I'll put it this way. He had some issues related to COVID protocols. Um, it seemed like, you know, maybe unable to follow the rules at times is, is the indication that we got from, you know, the team. So um, they need him to step up and kind of mature a little, I think. Um, but they have a very capable backup here in, in Vanisek, um that, that they obviously feel very highly about. Yeah, and you can't knock the goals against average that both these guys produced in their samples that last year, right around the 2.7 mark. With the offense in front of them, they'll take that and be a threat for a playoff position. And that said, AJ, what say you 
about the final order of standings in this division. I can't wait. Well, here's the the only two things that I feel confident about in this order of standings is the team I think is going to go first and the team that I think is going to go last. And and I, I feel mostly confident about the team that's going to finish last. And I'll lead off with that. It's, it's the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, there's just not enough depth here, and, and they made some changes. They've got a new coach in this season. Um, and so I, I just don't see them doing a whole a whole lot here. Now, that's not to say they're going to be a walkover team, um, but this is arguably the toughest division in, in hockey this year, and, and I um, or most years, honestly. And I, I just don't see how uh, they finish anywhere but last. So right now, um, for this next five minutes, I have Carolina – as uh, the division winners here. I think they upgraded at maybe one of their biggest points of need in, in terms of the net mining with Freddie Anderson. You know, I, I'm very high on Anderson. Maybe some of that, uh, you know, Maple Leafs uh, fandom has leaked over onto me, but I, I think <laughs> Freddie Anderson is a very capable net miner, and I, I think he's a strong acquisition. Um, I really like the Islanders. I know we talked about them not having a, a, a whole lot of uh, – you know, uh, defense, uh, you know, offensive defensemen, um, but they've got a great six pack there. The Rangers have done a lot to, and mostly through the draft to really develop this team. And, and I think they can come in third. Uh, look, uh, I just can't not put Pittsburgh in the playoffs. The fact that they will eventually get Crosby back and then they'll get Malcolm back uh, shortly after that. I, I think they're four, but look, would I be surprised if they end up flipping and end up out in the fifth spot, absolutely not. Um, and the team I have in fifth right now is Washington. And I think it's just an, another year older, another, you know, maybe half a step slower um, for a lot of these guys. And, and again, in a tough division, you know, you'll see I'm kind of favoring the youth of the Rangers uh, stepping in. I think Philadelphia comes in sixth uh, on the heels of some of their guys, but I think New Jersey could maybe be a little more competitive here. And then this is another spot where maybe it could flip. Maybe New Jersey comes in six, Philadelphia in seven. So I, I know I kind of shuffled that around a little bit, but for now, Carolina Islanders, Rangers, Pittsburgh, Washington, Philadelphia, New Jersey, Columbus is where I land. Paul, what say you? I don't have a lot to disagree with there. I certainly think you got it right at both ends of the standings with Carolina and the Islanders, the cream of the crop in this division. I'll give Carolina the nod as well. I like the additions they made uh, in net uh, on defense and up front to bolster their squad. Uh, they got three very good lines at forward, uh, very solid-looking defense depth, in my opinion, and uh, the goaltending situation should be in capable hands with the arrival of Freddie Anderson. It's not the playoffs yet. He does very well in the regular season. So we'll see how that plays out for them. But the Islanders, very tough out night in, night out. And they showed in the playoffs their medal. And I think they're going to show it from day one in the regular season to overtake a couple of the perennial leaders in this division who will battle out for third and fourth, in my opinion. I agree with you. I think Washington and Pittsburgh are going to be in a tough dogfight with the Rangers. I have the Caps finishing third, Penguins fourth, Rangers fifth, but you can shuffle that around all season long. It'll be that tight between them. From there, it's a drop-off to the remaining three teams, and I, like you, would like to see New Jersey take the next step, but I'm, I have some doubts. I think the defense that Philadelphia has cobbled together is going to keep them above the Devils and Columbus in that division, but nowhere near a playoff spot because I think they took a big step backward offensively. So to recap my picks, it's Carolina, Islanders, Washington, Pittsburgh, Rangers, Philadelphia, Jersey, and Columbus. 
AJ, we've gone through three of these. We've got one more left before the serious shooting starts in about uh, a dozen days. I can't wait, partner. Yeah, we're, we're getting that much closer. A um, lot of, uh, you know, I would call them minor tweaks to, to rosters have been happening today as, as guys are getting cut from uh, regular training camp heading to, to AHL or, or juniors. So, um, you know, not nothing too surprising yet, um, but, you know, that'll that'll start next week. But, yeah, we're, we're another week closer, Paul. And, AJ, I'm going to give ourselves a plug. We're not only just appearing on uh, on the Rotowire podcast of this August program that it's in its seventh season, but you and I are now staples in the DraftKings environment. Tell our listeners a little bit about that experience and where they'll be able to find us starting to talk hockey tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you uh, are familiar with YouTube at all, uh, DraftKings has a a Monday through Friday starting at 11 o'clock Eastern time. DraftKings has an hour long show that uh, bridges kind of the gap between DFS and and sports betting. They cover kind of all those topics Um, over the summer here. You've been able to hear Paul or see Paul, you know, because it's YouTube. It's live. We're right there. You've been able to see Paul talking uh, some some baseball I've done some. I've been doing a lot of uh, football work for them, but yes, as you said, Paul, uh, next uh, tomorrow rather they're going to have us on uh, to talk about both those things. But then we're going to talk some NHL futures uh, again, taking kind of that sports betting look. So head over to YouTube and just search DraftKings. Uh, it's it's on. Like I said, every Monday through Friday, starting at 11 a.m. Eastern time. You can catch us, plus a whole bevy of other uh, sports experts on their show. Great plug, AJ. So uh, that wraps up our look around the league in the third episode of Year 7 of Podcast with Statsman and AJ. Thanks for listening to Rotowire's signature fantasy hockey podcast, folks. In the meantime, as always, please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at ajscholes 24 as always, we invite you to listen to the podcast to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody. Bye.